Welcome to Cyberspin, the podcast that brings you expert insights. Subscribe to Cyberspin on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Cyberspin. Uh, Today, we've got a fantastic episode for you. Hopefully, it'll benefit you. We're going to be talking about documentation. But first, let me uh, introduce our guests from Centaur. So Chandler, please tell us about yourself. I have always enjoyed the hacker type environment. I, I went to school and co- with a computer science degree, um, uh, you know, probably hacked the IBM mainframe so I didn't have to get up at 2 a.m. to get the registered classes I wanted and kind of spun from there, right? So I'm more of an OG uh, on the job training uh, cybersecurity specialist, but I've had the joy of working now for 10 years with people like Steven, and they do keep me between the guardrails. So uh, I definitely have probably more hours invested than probably everyone here or every webinar that has had to do with CMMC because as the evangelist, I always felt like I needed to know everything about it. So uh, I've got good general knowledge on the topic. Yeah, go ahead, Steve. Hi, I'm Steve Pratt. I have uh, about uh, 20 years in uh, IT experience. The last uh, seven of those years has been uh, specifically with cybersecurity. I pride myself in being able to um, easily explain complex things to uh, to a level that anyone can understand it. So Yeah, awesome. <laughs> well, that's what we're hoping you're going to do today for us, Steve, is break this down, as I say, Barney style. So, well, that is the Centaur team. I think you guys know the pretty face of Red Spin, uh, Dr. Thomas Graham. Why don't you say hello to everybody? Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Thomas Graham. I'm the resident pizza guy for Red Spin. Uh, been around the DoD for about 16 years, so I've been able to practice my my pizza ordering skills to expert efficiency. In the my downtime, I keep track of all things CMMC and help keep uh, Rob on on point. You know, even though that's probably a full time job in and of itself. <laughs> with that, thank you guys for being here, and thank you for sharing your knowledge and experience with our listeners. Today, we're going to deep dive into documentation. A uh, reason that we're doing this is right now, Redspin has conducted at least six or seven joint surveillance assessments so far, and we're about 50-50 split on documentation. Half are doing it correctly, the other half are struggling. And that's why we've kind of brought this team together. So this is gonna be a great conversation and hopefully you guys will benefit from it. As we, we start talking about that, Steve, let's, let's start with you. So as we go through CMMC for a level two assessment, there's 110 practices, but there's like 320 objectives. So what should their documentation kind of reflect? Do they need to address those objectives or should it focus mainly on the practice? What, what is your thoughts on it? Well, it, it needs to it needs to uh, go down to the objective level. So uh, for those that are not familiar with that, they're, uh, the, the NIST 800-171A, uh, which is very similar to the uh, CMMC assessment guide, uh, there's been put out is where you can find these uh, assessment objectives. And what we like to see in documentation is everywhere where you see the word defined or identified, uh, that needs to be put in a document somewhere. So um, whether it be in the policy uh, or the SSP, um, it needs to be defined uh, to pass an assessment because that's what the assessor is going to look at. You, You have a little bit of leeway uh, on on a lot of the controls, so you just need to 
to define how you're going to do it, and then they're going to um, look and, and make sure you're doing it the way it's been defined. Gotcha. Thank you. That's very accurate because that's one of the problems we've been seeing is you look at the objective and it says define, for example, external connections. And then when you look for the external connections, they're not listed out. So have they really defined them? So, uh, you know, all of these documents are living documents. We've We've talked in the past that you know, you don't have to list everything in the SSP. It's entirely up to the organization how they craft that. We ourselves reference to a lot of our policies and procedures. <clears throat> that way we can uh, update those. So Chandler, why don't, you, why don't you deep dive a little bit about how they, they can keep their documentation up to date once it's drafted. Yeah, I think the living document part is, is a big deal, right? So getting through this first time is what everyone's been focused on now for years, but it's every three years, right? So uh, I kind of jokingly, I think uh, the title to this particular presentation, what is, uh, you know, is, is, is lean to mean, is, uh, can, does bloat mean gloat, right? If I got a whole bunch of stuff in there, do I get to brag, right? I, I think it's really important to try to understand exactly what you do need to provide and try to stick within those guardrails. We have had multiple of our clients go through not CMMC certifications, but the DFARS 252-204-70-20 high and medium confidence assessments, which are similar in nature, right? And I think that uh, the feedback we've gotten back from our customers who passed with glowing, you know, uh, when they would be bragged about the DCMA guy would be, I think this is an excellent SSP. They would have those definitive objections, ABC for a particular control. They'd have them in the SSP. But then, of course, policies separate from that in, in general and, and procedures, of course, even more so because that's a heavy lift. The, the trick, I think, to do is to look at who in your organization is primarily responsible for maintaining that documentation. And then if you feel like, and I think probably Thomas and, and Steve are going to have a better idea than I have on this. My IT administration days were back in the 80s, right? But I can see that probably changes will happen more frequently in configurations and systems which impact the SSP. I think having the objectives there in, within the SSP on that exact control would help me if I was trying to do it. I'm not that organized of a person, right? So I would want to have that, oh, yes, right, I'm supposed to do that. No, it references this control. I got to go look at that one, too. And then maybe take a higher level approach to reviewing the policies after a big change. And then, of course, updating those procedures. I mean, that's a great point. That that definitely defines or kind of shows an example to the listeners of how they can build out that SSP, you know, reference out the documents or build it in the SSP or a combination of both. So uh, you kind of hit on some changes of why they would have to keep the documentation up updated. Thomas, you and I have been talking about NIST revision three that is has been released for public comment. And some of the changes that come with that is a good example of how they would have to update. Uh, you want to dive a little bit deeper into that? Sure, Rob. So as you mentioned, the Rev three for NIST 800-171 has kind of been on everybody's minds here the last few weeks since the the draft was released. When you're looking at it, a lot of the, the items that you know, we've talked about previously, such as the NFO items, are now included in the main body of uh, NIST 800-171. And with that, now organizations are going to have to account for that when they start constructing their SSPs or con start constructing their documentation. You know, other other items, you know, as they're going through it is changing in, in some of the definitions where, 
you know, Rev2 specified some some very specific things, such as the need for FIPS 140 TAC2 uh, validated cryptography. Well, Rev3 actually reads more like a traditional NIST document, which, if you can read between the tea leaves, is probably starting to get folks' mindset in this is not just going to be DOD, it's going to potentially spread throughout the federal government. And I think that's important because as the program continues to mature, as Chandler mentioned, you know, as we've mentioned in the past, you as an organization have to keep your documentation updated. That's one of the things we ask for, you know, during a CMMC assessment. What's your cadence? You know, the way that you construct it, the way that you put it together, I mean, that's going to play into how much time you're going to spend in the documentation. And Chandler's going to tell me where I'm wrong, but, you know, that's Chandler's job. Well, I'm just going to ask a question about that, right? So Thomas is alluding to the fact that this is about to scale outward, right? So it's not just going to be DOD as these rules get published and rolled out. We now expect what they've been saying all along. It'll be Department of Interior, Department of Justice, Department of Homeland Security, et cetera. So you could have someone who might have a DOD environment and they've decided they've got one contract and they've enclaved things for just those folks, right? And now all of a sudden it's all the other agencies and they might be heavy with the Department of Justice or the Forestry Commission, right? So you think, I mean, I haven't had, I've never heard this even mentioned, but do, do you think the approach would be to try to uh, define your scopes for each of those agencies and have separate SSPs for each of the agencies or, or trying to just keep growing your, your scope to, to bring in those as it goes along? What's, what, what do we think? I, I think it, this goes back to what's the reason for CUIX Chandler? It was based upon everything from 9-11 where agencies weren't really talking to each other to be able to share information. So they come out with a, supposedly a common definition for controlled unclassified information or or CUI. Um, and you can hear my Southern accent. I, I can hear, and I'm getting the nostalgia here. The reason for it was so that not only could agencies communicate, but those baselines for the protection of, of CUI be standard across all agencies. and part of that so that the systems could talk to each other. And I think long-term, and, and when I say long-term in, in this, it's, I have to quantify it by, we thought short-term would be one to, you know, one to two years on the rule, but now we're in two years. I, I think long-term, what this is going to, going to be able to do is to provide those baselines, provide those benchmarks. So, you know, even though NIST 800-171-REV3 has organizationally defined parameters, which if you're not, you're not aware, organization in this context means the agency. I think yes. when you're going through and you're looking at these based, if, if the agencies come out with agency specific requirements and, and those of us that have worked in the DOD long enough, no, you have DISA, you know, specifying requirements, but then you have each of the combatant commands identifying how they're going to implement it. Same thing with CUI. You have NARA up at the top with, you know, CUI categorizations, and then you have the DOD CUI registry, which says here, DOD, here's how we're going to do this. I think that may come into play. I, I think organizations, if they're smart about it, will look and see which one of the requirements may be the most stringent or, you know, the, the more intensive and construct their SSPs based on that. Because if you do, 
Now you're only having to deal with one versus multiple ones across different segments. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be. Uh, I, I agree with you 100. Um, but it, it, I really think it's going to be on a, a case by case basis. So um, definitely do the high water mark if you can. Uh, it, I think it's easier to maintain one system and one SSP, one certification. Uh, each time you split these up for different agencies, you got to get a, a different separate uh, certification that you have to maintain. Um, if you can have one uh, environment, you can do that. Uh, makes it a lot easier. But you also might have uh, certain assets in one system that can't meet the stringent uh, requirements of a particular agency that, that it's not involved with. And in those cases, you might make the business decision to separate those systems for that reason. No, and that's that's a great point because when when they uh, you know we submit a client for the joint surveillance assessment. Um, First thing they ask is uh, for the cage codes and then how many cage codes apply to the SSP or vice versa, which SS, is your SSP covering which cage codes? And, and that's really what you guys are getting at. And the more you split that out, that's more documentation you have to keep updated, right? We think um, from a, a services standpoint, it's a disservice if you pay an outside uh, company to write your documentation for you, interviewing all your people and stuff, because no one in your organization is going to be familiar enough with the documentation to keep it maintained. We really push, even though we get less money, we push them to take our, you know, we have like a doc set and then they begin reading it and customizing. We help them identify where it's different. And then we ask them to, you know, look into, and we'll help them determine um, you know, maybe the change they should make, whether it's to their system or whether it's to the doc documentation itself, and they'll set revision control, and then our team will review what they've changed for maintaining compliance. And we think that's a good way to go because you end up with that trained knowledge person in-house that at least has some familiarity with, oh my gosh, what just changed? I think I've got to go look at this now, right? That's the biggest hole I see when you pay someone to do it for you. Speaking of that documentation, Chandler, you know, we've touched on it to this point, but the key document, at least in my opinion, and, and probably hopefully in quite a few other people's opinion as well, that key document is that SSP, that, that system security plan. The reason why I say this is, you know, for the folks that are, that are listening to this or watching it, using a sports analogy, you don't go into any type of competition or game without having your game plan. Yeah. To me, that's what an SSP is for an organization. It, it, it's their game plan. And Steve, what's your opinion on it and some of those key elements? Yeah, I, I agree. It is your plan for how you are going to, uh, to, to meet the compliance and implement uh, these controls. Uh, I, one of the questions we get a lot is, I have an SSP. Why do I need a policy? Why do I need a procedure? I, I feel like I'm writing the same thing three times. So. The, the SSP is designed to reflect the system that you're getting accredited. So um, you, if you are, if you're a small, small business, it, it may be you, it may be your entire IT system. If you're a, a large enterprise, uh, one of the big five uh, companies out there, they are going to have hundreds and hundreds of, of different systems for different contracts in different buildings that are not connected and they will have a certification for each one of those and the system security plan should reflect the specific system that they're doing 
um, a policy is in a procedure are really more company-wide so a policy is your your management commitment your you know these are how we're the, these are the things we're going to do as a company uh, to to meet uh, the requirements your your procedures should support how you implement the policy so an example there's a requirement that says to limit uh, limit unsuccessful logon attempts well, your policy might be your company saying, uh, we are going to limit the unsuccessful login attempts to five times. Your procedure might say, we're going to use a group policy uh, since we use Active Directory to for authentication. We're going to use this group policy uh, and we're going to put these settings in here uh, and, and set this to three um, and, and that will, will meet that that policy now you, you know as far as the level of detail you go in the procedure uh, you can choose to write it to where a layman can do it or you can assume that the person doing it is an IT professional and and understands um, how they're going to do uh, you know the basics um, and that that's up to you as a company to do so under the SSP you would state we're going to follow the company procedure on this which is to to limit this to three login attempts or you might say uh, this system, we're going to limit it to to two uh, invalid login attempts. We're going to be more strict than what our company procedure states. So, so your SSP can reference those other documents almost like it's inheriting it from the parent company uh, for that system. I, I would say, Steve, that uh, I've definitely gotten feedback from clients um, where we started very early on. We were we've been helping companies meet DFARS compliance since 2015, 2016. Before there was NIST 171, and policies were ones that we were really pushing at that point. Um, uh, when procedures came along, I think that aspect of writing it for the layman, it, it, while it's great, you know, if you if you lose your admin because they won the lottery and you've got to hire new folks, right? It is tough for them to to keep up with all the minor changes of login screens and and you know some of those where did they move that setting or that app you know that you got to click on. So I know our approach. I know that Steve's group, um, he's also in charge of our IT. They've set a, a bar. They've said, okay, we're going to write our our procedures um, with the expectation that a system administrator with say Microsoft 365 three years experience. Uh, is the is is what the reader, the author, the the audience of the document is expected to have knowledge-wise, and that at least means you don't have to say log into this node name, uh, you know, now set directory to this spot location. You can maybe go make this change in Active Directory, right? That kind of thing. That's a great point because uh, you know some of the SSPs that we have seen reference out to policies and procedures and then when you open the procedures it actually looks like a run book to where it's it, it walks you from start to finish on how to set something up and configure a, a device or a solution and is is that really what your procedures should be again as, as we've all stated it's organizationally defined we're not going to tell you it's wrong but uh, you know it it just seems like the procedures should be more of a high level overarching look down on, on the process itself, right? Go ahead, Thomas. You know, to kind of frame what you're talking about there, Rob and Steve, you as well, your policies really speak to what you shall do, what you will do, what you should be doing as an organization. And then the procedures, you know, should be that next step down. You know, here's how we're going to go about doing it. And you can even go another step further to functional level procedures or plans, here's how each business unit is going to implement 
the the procedures. Um, rolling this back up and in, into the SSP, we're, we've been talking policies and, and procedures. That SSP being the the game plan, if you will. One of the things that that I've seen, and at least from the assessments and the and the folks that I've talked with, the organizations that that have been successful going through joint surveillance have have within their SSP clearly defined, you know, what their, the scope of the assessment is, that boundary, um, if you will. The, they've included what their system description is. Is it cloud-based? Is it on-prem? Is it a hybrid? Is it Jerry over in the corner just, you know, taking snail mail, you know, whatever the case may be. And then they've been able to define, you know, where that CUI data is going to and from in their networks. And, and here's the reason why that's important. If you don't define that, and, and this is just, you know, my take on it, gentlemen, if you don't define that, me as an assessor, when I come in, now I'm on a fishing expedition. Um, I'm, I'm poking at, you know, all areas of your organization to try and figure out what this, this boundary is. And it can go down rabbit holes that we may not, you know, need to go down, but Having those things in there in, in the SSP, you've got to have a game plan. If you don't have a game plan going in, you're, you're playing street ball and you, you know, I want to say you got a 50, 50 chance, but if you're coming up with, you know, against a, a very good organization that understands what the requirements are and the assessment methodology, then they're coming in loaded and, and you're just defending the bullets instead of having a conversation with them. Well, and that kind of goes back to what Steve said earlier when I, when I asked, you know, about the objectives, right? So Steve kind of referenced NIST 800-171 alpha, which is exactly what an assessor is supposed to follow for the assessment process, if you will, right? So in there, if they, if they look at the different objectives and then they address those, Nine times out of 10, it's going to cover everything that you should be doing and saying that you're doing inside your documentation. True, false, thoughts? I agree. And it, it also helps you make sure you're meeting all the assessment objectives. If you, we, we always recommend that the SSP that you, you know, there's the A, B, C, and D assessment objectives, put that A, B, C, and D in your SSP and answer each one of those. And that, that helps you ensure as a as a as an osc that's going after this that helps you ensure you're meeting it before you before you call an assessor uh, it helps the assessor find it you know i can't tell you how many times we're handed an ssp and we you know and we go looking for well is this defined anywhere is this uh you know where where is this you know and and if they can say yes we have this defined as this and we define it in our uh, XYZ procedure located here, you know, that, that helps us tremendously, tremendously. If you can get your assessor in and out of there, uh, your, your assessment's going to go much easier. Yeah. And, and going back to what Chandler said, bloat equals uh, gloat, right? So how yeah, much, too much, how much is not enough? Again, that's organizationally defined, but you want to make sure you're addressing everything because the more you address it in your documentation, the less an assessor is going to beat you up. <laughs> Yeah, we've seen this uh, generational uh, maturity of the SSP since about 2016, right? So first it was, oh yeah, I'm compliant. 
uh, I'm not compliant because I don't have a firewall or whatever, right? It was just, yes, I'm compliant. And then it's like, no, 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 you gotta, you gotta say how you're compliant, right? And, uh, and then it went from there. And then it was, and we need you to, and what helps is put those assessment objectives in there because it really defines how you're being compliant, right? So it's, it's interesting to see how that has just grown and grown through the several years now. It's probably one of the reasons why, why it might be good that it took the DOD a little longer to pull all this together correctly than not. <laughs> so, so first of all, Chandler, I, I will say I'll, I agree with you, which, you know, don't, don't quote me on that because I will deny it. Even now, you know, we still see organizations where when you're, you're looking through the SSP and, you know, very first, you know, practice, very first objective, uh, identify your authorized users. We've seen statements in the SSP that say simply, we identify our users. And, and to, to your point, the SSP really speaks to that how. And Steve, you know, you've alluded to it. Um, I'm going to make the statement. So hopefully people won't come fire by my house. If, if you're looking for a checklist on what needs to be included, the objectives are it yeah. because under CMNC, you know, granted we're in joint surveillance right now under CMNC to be able to pass, you know, for a particular practice, you have to meet the adequacy and sufficiency requirements for the entire practice, which guess what? That means the objectives. Now, if you've used those objectives and you've used those as your checklist, here's the next step, guys. Make sure you're accounting for all of your components because I've seen tons of organizations when we started talking to them have mentioned, you know, how they're doing it for data storage or their Windows devices or the stuff folks use every day. They leave out their networking devices. They're leaving out their printers if they're printing CUI. And it's honestly, if you go through those, those objectives, you take the elements that you've already identified in your inventory and you're counting for them in each of your objectives, more than likely, you're probably going to be successful. I'm, I'm not going to say you are just because there's always nuances, but now you've got a pretty solid game plan, you know, going back to that sports analogy again on. Here's how we're tackling this. Yeah. So uh, again, you know, going back uh, to the SSP and listing out the objectives. So the other piece is, uh, is lean to mean. So, um, you know, I love these titles and it, it just cracks me up. That's why I love working with you guys. But anyway, <laughs> um, so one of the other challenges that we've seen is, you know, when you prepare for whether it's joint surveillance or CMMC, you're going to have to provide artifacts. So what we've seen is uh, for those out there that already have existing policies and procedures and they're titled based off the entire enterprise or organization, and then they build the SSP around it. When you start reference, referencing to those documents, you wanna make sure they're simple because uh, you know we went through an assessment where it referenced us to a document, which we found, right? But then the artifacts, had the same long title for the artifact instead of just stating what it was. So there was a lot of digging to find what, what artifact went with which objective. So go ahead, Steve. Yeah, and, and please, if you're going to reference a 500 page uh, uh, procedure that the, the information we're looking for is on page 312, paragraph two, state in your SSP, 
This is found on page 312, paragraph 2, bullet 4 in, in this procedure. That, that makes it so At much easier. At least 12. <laughs> yes. Something. Yeah. No, you're right, because the longer it takes, uh, you know, the assessor to find everything, the longer the assessment itself is going to be. So. Or the more risk there is that they will miss it and mark it as incomplete, and then there's a, you know, churn and burn there. Yeah. And even more important than that is that, if it confuses the assessor, what is it doing for your users, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure you guys have templates of documentation, you know, that you pass out to the clients. We we at Redspin have the same. Um, and so we're kind of hoping to get some of the feedback about how long does it take to draft something up? How long, you know, uh, do you have to have meetings to understand what's going on? Like you said, Chandler, you just kind of give them the template, they go through it and then kick it back to you. So if we were looking at, let's say, access control, about how long do you think it's it would take to draft up a policy for that particular domain? I think that's the easy one, Steve, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, I would say uh, yeah. policy is easy. Uh, you can almost do shell statements for the uh, for the for the controls and the assessment yeah. objectives and, and define things. Procedures uh, might yeah. take a little longer. In general, um, and I get a lot yeah. of more feedback. We we um, when when we provide to our clients and we say this is what we we propose and recommend you do. We do have a doc set. Uh, one of the one of the things we decided to do early on was to kind of more. Uh, 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 I think they call them opinions now, right? Rather than to have blanks and templates, we went ahead and wrote out actual policies and procedures as examples of either what Centaur might be doing or another customer. We have a set of procedures that are for on-prem devices, and we had a set of procedures for cloud. Now, they still have to play the kind of Chinese, you know, two for menu A and one for menu B kind of thing, right? But um, what we do is we would say we expect them to be able to, if they dedicate a person in six months, they should be able to first read the policies, identify where they're different from your environment. Just do that, right? Then discuss the differences with our analysts, make some easy determinations as to what's the right thing to do, change the doc, change the process, change the system, right? They learn from that as they go. It's policy-wise, it's fairly high level. It's usually just one doc, right? That usually only takes them a month, uh, you know, back and forth in general, just, you know, ask some questions. Of course, they got other jobs they're doing as well. And then those last five months is figuring out which procedures you need to have from those doc sets, first pulling them all together. If you're a hybrid environment, there's a little bit more mixing to go. And now you're starting to go through those, potentially with our analyst occasionally going, do I need to define it to this level? Is this an okay choice to make? I'd rather make this a 12 instead of a three. And again, that's where we kind of come in and go 12's too high. You can only do 10, you know, that kind of stuff, right? So we try to give them something that's readable, understandable, and direct them to kind of take policies, then procedures, and uh, and in general, uh, I'd say about six months is what we're at, a, what we minimally expect. And there are some that end up taking nine to twelve if they are not dedicated to it, right? Yeah, no, great point. But the main thing, uh, when a company doesn't have an SSP or a full suite of policies and procedures it hints at a lack of procedural maturity. Now, this is why I, I like the statement because Thomas and I, you know, 
when 1. CMMC 1.0 shifted to 2.0, maturity was stripped out, but wasn't really, right? Yeah. Right. Uh, if you're not trying to mature your processes, your procedures, and the security of your network, then you should probably try to find another job because that's what we're here to do. And, and we're constantly coming up with counter tactics to what hackers and all these other, uh, you know, threat nations are, are, are doing against the networks. But that hints at a lack of procedural maturity kind of lets you know whether you are ready for an assessment or if you're not. And one thing we always tell everybody, which is why uh, we, we really partnered with Centaur, is because, you know, we, we have folks that are signed up for the joint surveillance and then they want an RPO to come in and take a look at their documents and help them get to that finish line just to make sure they're safe. To me, that's an investment, not just, you know, it costs money, but that's a great investment because it's going to get them to that finish line, which is exactly what you're doing for some of our clients, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right? So uh, with that, um, I think we we probably beat this topic to death and hopefully we'll do another one of these, maybe like a part two. Yeah. But before, before we go, go ahead, Chandler. Rob, I would just like to say I, I deal with folks uh, every day on the phone. Often they're early in the journey, even still at this late date. So I get a different perspective than maybe some of the real experts here that are dealing with down in the ditches, writing stuff all the time. Don't forget the DFARS requirements, right? You know, the up the four and the, the easiest one, right? Which is, which is vague, but it's that phrase, be ready to report an incident within 72 hours, right? I, I, I try to remind at the end of, end of my phone calls with everybody is, look, they're really not expecting you to protect CUI 100% of the time. Every bit of the DFARS regulation, the new rules that'll come out, NISTA 800-171, a CMMC assessment program of your compliance, every bit of this is to help you catch quickly that something bad has occurred and report it. That is the whole goal here. That's not that bad a goal. <laughs> right? Excellent point, Chandler. I mean, you're spot on. So as we're closing this out, I, I quickly, I want to go back around so that you guys can give kind of some parting wisdom, some, um, I, I don't want to say tips, but maybe some recommendations that folks can do to kind of help themselves uh, get better prepared. Let's start with Steve and then we'll work our way around. Sure. Um, you know, when you hear policies and procedures, uh, a lot of times people think, well, I've got multiple documents here. I've got at least two, a policy and a procedure. And then I might have, uh, you know, individual policies and procedures for each family. So, you know, 14 families, you're talking, you know, twice that many in, in, in documents. Uh, it's not necessary. You can combine where it makes sense. Um, if you are a small organization, you might uh, choose to combine your your policy and your procedure into to one, uh, you know, a, a combined document. Um, if you are a, a large enterprise, they like to keep those separate, mostly because uh, a policy might take, um, you know, any change to a policy might might require uh, ten different um, VP signatures uh, before before it can be enforced. Whereas a procedure can, you know, an IT director can make a decision and sign off on it to change a procedure and how they're meeting a policy. Um, and and you know, if you if you decide to switch firewall brands, you don't want to have to track down those ten. 
uh, VPs to to resign your your policy piece uh, if you're just changing part of it. So so you know depending on what your how your structure is made up uh, organizationally, you you might choose to combine those. Uh, you might also combine certain families. AC and IA have a lot of similarities and 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 the types of controls and what you're meeting there. So you know combine combine uh, those two families into similar documents. Um, really just what, what makes sense for your organization, how, it, how it's laid out. Awesome, great advice. Uh, yeah, something we've, we've kind of talked about uh, quite a bit actually on our podcast here is, uh, remember if you're writing a policy and you're not the, the CEO or the vice president, as you mentioned, um, you do have to track them down with every update because they're going to have to sign it. And we're looking for those signatures uh, and the dates, you know, when it was last reviewed. Uh, real quick, let's go back to Chandler. I think the most important thing that most companies can do is to is to figure out the person with the organizational dependable uh, persona that is an organized person that that knows they go to this meeting every month, they go to this meeting every week, and then they listen for these things. And what I would do there is to have that person be responsible for the documentation and to sit in on the change control board, right? They don't need to understand it, but they need to recognize that something's changed and will that be an impact to our policies or procedures? Who will I work with after the meeting? That's all that they need, right? But if they are that organized person that will know that they're responsible for it, know that when someone leaves the company, that might be a change in a role name, right? Those are the areas that when we talk about the lifetime maintenance of this, that's a, that if they don't have that, they'll, they may be passed this time, but they ain't passing the next one. <laughs> uh, again, good points. Thomas, over to you for your closing thoughts. You know, over the course of this podcast, we've talked a lot about documentation and, and some of the elements that's composed with it. Speaking from experience, when, when Redspin went through this, you know, it, it took us the better part of the year. I was looking at documentation pretty much every single day. And I know everybody's probably heard, you know, the, the saying, you can't see the trees for the forest. Um, and, and to me, what that means is you spend so much time looking at it. You're not going to find the, those holes or those gaps that, that you see. So you had mentioned, you know, reaching out to uh, an MSP type organization, an RPO, C3PA, whatever the case may be, and getting them to do a look-see, do, you know, go walk me through a mock assessment, walk me through a gap assessment, you know, just review my documentation. And that provides that new set of eyes that, that can see the stuff that you didn't. I know when we were getting ready, um, granted this was back in the very early days of CMMC before RPOs and stuff really, really got off the ground. We actually reached out to another provisional assessor and said, take a look at our documentation and our artifacts. Tell us where we missed stuff. Um, and, and, you know, for us, it identified, you know, the gaps that we just didn't see at that point in time. Mm -hmm. So my, my parting thought, if you will, and I guess that's long winded, but my parting thought is understand you're not in this alone, that there are folks out, out here that, that can help you. And reach out to them and, you know, for ourselves, we put a lot of information on, on our website. It's free. If, you know, I always like to say, if you're having trouble sleeping at night, you can go listen to my Southern draw on there and it'll help put you to sleep. But there, there is good information out there and don't, don't be shy about, you know, 
trying to find it or even just asking questions. Thank you. No, great point. Uh, one thing I want to leave with everybody is that, so as you can see, I, I spent time in, in the Department of Defense. All right. So everybody knows that I spent over 30 years in the U.S. Army. So here's the thing about uh, doctrine in the military. It's never going to be specific. Never. It's going to be very, it's almost like a general high arching document. And why does the military and the DOD do that? Because they don't want to put a clamp on the commander on the ground. In this case, they don't want to put a clamp on your organization because every business operates different, right? You just need to find within that boundary how that documentation is going to look based off your, your organization and the business that you perform. Uh, there is no right or wrong. You just need to clearly define what you're doing because if you don't, that's what we're going to ask, right? Yeah. Assessors. Uh, and then those sessions become very long because <laughs> as Thomas said earlier, we're fishing, but, uh, yeah. you know, to close this out, as you guys can see, this is one of the main reasons we partnered with Centaur. Everything that these guys have said to us today has really echoed what Thomas and I have been saying since the beginning. And, you know, Centaur is an RPO. They're also a C3PAO. Um, and as we, as the C3PAO ecosystem started to build, we at Redspin said, and, and you know, with the Cyber AB, have said, we can't do this alone. We need to find like partnered organizations that think the way we do and echo what we say and vice versa. So that when they go in to assist our clients, we know for a fact our clients are going to pass their certifications because they just sat with some experts, right? Yeah. So with that, yeah. if you are struggling with your documentation out there or any other aspect of preparing for CMMC, remember that CMMC is only an, uh, a validation function. You already should be applying DFAR 7012 rules. Those are in place right now. So if those, if you're not meeting that, you're already out of compliance. So keep that in mind. And as Thomas said, don't be afraid to reach out. I highly encourage you go out, look at Centaur's website, great resources to get you to that finish line, right? And then of course, Thomas and I'll come in and uh, get you set for the certification. All right, with that, Thank you guys again for uh, joining us for another great episode. Thank you guys for joining us. See you on the next episode. With that, we are spinning out.